as was seen in James, sometimes the um, cause of conflicts is actually not even with the other person. Sometimes the cause of the conflict is with us. Now, last week, Wayne and Kim were with us, and well, this week, Wayne and Kim are with us, but uh, when, when I was in contact with them a few months ago and talking about this is when we're coming and what day would be a good time, a, a good day for us to be at Brush Prairie, and uh, sitting right there on the shelf was that passage as we looked through the calendar and the schedule ahead, right there was sitting the passage from last week where it deals with, with a con- conflict and needs and what we focus on. And it seemed like this is so in their ministry's wheelhouse that God must have set that up. And once we started the flipping series, then God must have said, okay, this is the time you got to be on furlough because you have to be at Brush Prairie the end of March. And so there they came, and here they are, and uh, we thank the Lord for them. Um, that, that passage, as Wayne talked about it last week, and uh, conflict and uh, anxieties that we have concerning things that we need or even things that we want, what it is that we put our focus on, that flows right into the passage that we want to, we want to take a look at this morning. So if I, could, if I could step back onto that turf just a little bit as we begin this morning, I, I was thinking of the, of the areas that, that Wayne was talking about last week, and I thought, you know, there's, 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 the, there's some fight club there, there's a little Amazon faith, there's a Facebook faith that flows right into a satisfied faith. By fight club faith, that's the easy one, there's a conflict going on. Conflicts between those who should be agreeing together in Christ, who should be of the same mind in Christ. Yet we begin, we begin to wonder things about others. We begin to wonder things about that other church or, or some separation occurs between. Could it be because the other has something you want? Maybe it's recognition that should have been ours. We want something they have. Amazon faith, having a little fun there delivered in two days or less, the things that we ask God for, but maybe it doesn't happen. Anxious about the things that we believe that we need, and yet God's timetable is apparently not the same as ours. God doesn't have prime. Facebook faith, what we focus on. And Facebook, I think, now, now Paul in that section as, as um as Wayne pointed out, these are the things, the honorable, the pure, that which is true, that which is of good report. Those are the things we should be focusing on. And, and when Paul tells us to do something like that, typically it's because we're not. Oftentimes, the, the exhortation gives you a little glimpse into the current situation, which is other than what he is calling them to. And if you tie that in with the conflicts which may, or the, just the differences between us that might be fueled by my own concerns about what I think I need or should have, which may cause me to be considering another or others and focusing on negatives about them instead of the positives. What if, what if that section, verses 8 and 9, the things to dwell on, are not so much just general things, or even as I closed, uh, pointed out in closing, these, these things, the 
that which is true and good and honorable and praiseworthy, that's our Lord Jesus. But what if that exhortation is actually aimed at or concerning people we actually could be in conflict with, where we're thinking the worst instead of thinking the best? That's what I talked to, that's what I thought in my head is Facebook faith. Because what happens on Facebook? Two things, two things own much of your Facebook feed. I'm not saying the stuff you're posting. It's, it's the other people's stuff. It's, it's two things. It's, it's, it's either look at me, look what I'm doing, look what I've got, look at the fun I'm having, look at where I got to go. Those, those are some of my fun posts. Or, or look at what I get to eat. You know? Weird. I don't, I don't, I don't understand that one. But... Or it's something critical, a lot of the um, political stuff fits into this, this where we're focusing on something negative. We're taking shots at somebody. It might be all in fun and clever, but it's not focusing on that which is good. It's focusing on that which is not. And sometimes it's not even focusing on that which is true. It's, it's, a, it's a skewed perspective of it all. And from there, he moves into several verses that focus around contentment. The answer, I think, ultimately to this, this relational uh, angst, this differences that might be a, a, a raging conflict, it might just be a drifting apart of ones who should be closer together. But either way, the, 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 the differences that sometimes arise out of what I think I should have that they either have or they're keeping me from having, which flow, is related to my own lack of contentment. What God himself is not providing for me that is creating angst within me or even a tendency out of that, perhaps, to focus on the negative when for one another. Yeah, have you ever been in a situation where, where, you, where you had a conflict with somebody and, and you don't know why they're acting the way they are, but it's just bugging you? And, and, but then you find out, oh, this has been going on in their life and I didn't know. If I had known, I, I would not have been thinking of them the way that I was. If I'd known that, it just changes your perspective. It changes your understanding. It changes your ability to forbear one another, right? Because you realize the context out of which they might have acted this way or that way or said something that was sharp or hurtful, whatever. But you realize, oh, I didn't know. That changes things. And yet it doesn't have to. What if we actually gave one another benefit of the doubt and somebody's acting what's out of the normal character for them or the normal character in Christ? Maybe it's because there's something going on and we don't know about it and we don't even have to know about it. We can give them the benefit of the doubt. We know the kind of world that we live in. We know the kind of stuff that comes in. We can assume that there's something going on and we can give them that benefit of the doubt and extend grace and mercy anyway, right? That, 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 that flows out of or that can flow out of a confidence that I have that God in Christ has me. That's really the whole thing. That's, that's all I got to say. So now if you want to take your bulletin and catch up on those other announcements, go ahead. Well, no, no, first. Let's read the scripture first. Then you can do that. Okay? So Philippians chapter 4. Uh, if you want to follow along, the same version I'm using, the ESV, then you'll, you'll find that uh, the church Bible in front of you. We're on page 982. Philippians chapter 4. And I'm going to begin, I'm actually going to begin at verse 8 just to take sort of a running start into our passage. 
Finally, brothers, and oftentimes when you see brothers, brethren in, in the New Testament, it's a, it's a word that refers to brothers and sisters. I'll sometimes, as uh, Wayne talked about last week, monkey with the text a little bit. I'll, I'll add that reading in just, just so that you ladies realize Paul has not left you out. It's a generic term that today we, we would tend to say both. So, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about those things. What you have learned and received and heard and, and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. And now he begins to practice the very same thing he has just preached. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things all those things that he's just described, through him, through Christ, who strengthens me. Paul is striking chords that are reverberating back through the previous verses. That concern and partnership expressed in tangible ways encourages the heart. We, at our missions dinner last night, we were talking about uh, choose one of these missionaries that our church partners with and partner with them in this next year. Regularly pray for them. And as you're praying for them, we gave you the email address so you can contact them. You can send them a short note. You can send them a, a, a word of encouragement. Because knowing that they're being remembered, knowing that they're being prayed for. In fact, just after the meeting, one of the things that Steve Stout did after the meeting in our missions chair, he, he sent a picture to each of those missionaries of the person that was, was um, advocating for them, describing their ministry to the others at the dinner. And, uh, and so he sent a picture of Linda Sladko to Madison Gustafson there in Cambodia. And one of the things that Madison had described is Cambodia needs rain. And, and uh, so Steve sent that, and he mentioned that one of the, we shared that request, that one of the things to pray for Cambodia was for rain. And Madison said, it rained last night. The funny thing is, we're surprised at that, right? We're surprised at that. You talked about that last night. That, that we pray and God answers our prayer and we say, oh, wow, it's a miracle. Well, yes, but we should have expected that in some way. But, but how encouraging was that for Madison to know that there were people championing her in her ministry, praying for her, encouraging. I know that makes a, a huge difference. Paul is rejoicing how he sees God working his good in them and through them, practicing sacrificial love for others. Paul says, I, I, I rejoice that, that you revive, that, that their concern expressed in a practical way gave him joy. He says, you were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. God gives opportunities. It's an example of somehow, we, sometimes we need to reframe what's going on from how we're describing it to ourselves instead of thinking, why is God doing this or not doing that? We maybe should be asking, why has God set up this need? 
Why has God teed up this particular opportunity? And what maybe am I supposed to do with it or in it? Maybe that's the way we should frame the thing, the thing instead. Changing how and what we ask for. That this is an opportunity for, for me to ask for them, or it's an opportunity for me to ask, Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have us to do in the midst of this? The need being met is not primary. It's not primary for Paul. He says, he says not that I'm speaking out of need in verse 11. I've learned in whatever situation to be content. That's not my point, but he's rejoicing. Not that the need is met, but connection and partnership as ought to be. That's the issue in verse 2. These, these, these two women who represent all kinds of situation in local churches and friendships and marriages and families, these, these two who should be together are in some ways not. That's the primary need. And the fact that this church is with him, even across the different distance, and that the, the uncomfortable circumstances of Roman confinement for a trumped-up charge that, that isn't even real, that Paul says that's just an opportunity that God has set before you that allowed you to participate in this loving one another thing that Jesus has invited us all into. That's what's going on. We... The, the need is the opportunity for partnership. God provides opportunities. We want to pray for no needs. We want to pray that there wouldn't be any needs, that everything would be provided. There are no needs. But to do that would be for praying for no opportunities. I remember something that we heard at the Missions Connection. One of the speakers talked about uh, persecution. And one of the leading causes of persecution of Christians around the world is people coming to faith in Christ in difficult places in closed countries. He said, we're praying for no persecution in those countries. One of the things we're praying for is that there would not be so many converts to Christ, people coming to faith in Jesus in those countries, because then there wouldn't be persecution. In a backwards way, they said, that's kind of what we're asking for. For us to be praying that every need is provided for is to pray that they don't need my involvement. It's all covered. It's a wonderful interdependency, a healthy interdependency, not a codependency, but an interdependency within the body of Christ that says each member needs the others, that we're in this together, and that's true here, and that's true with those that we send from here. Contentment is not merely being content in the circumstance, but it's being content regardless of what the circumstances are. This is not circumstantially driven. I have learned in whatever situation, he says in verse 11, in whatever situation I am to be content. He says, I've learned this. This is not from a stoic self-denial, but it's confidence in Christ and his future. Christ has me in the midst of this. My future is in him. It is not of this world. This world cannot change that. And whatever the circumstances are, they are by definition temporary. And I have all eternity with my Lord before me. Contentment is learned. Contentment is learned by being in the circumstances. And the situations. When I have no need, I do not learn contentment in need. 
When I have no troubles, I do not learn what it is to trust Christ and to know his keeping me in the midst of those troubles. Imagine, imagine the experience of those three friends of Daniel in the book of Daniel chapter, was it chapter 3? When the three friends of Daniel get tossed into the fiery furnace. And then there's a fourth one in the furnace, one who looks like the Son of God. And they are preserved not from the fire, they are preserved in that fire. And they come out again and they stand before the king. Smelling a little like smoke. But imagine their joy. And knowing all the more, O king, what can you do to us? Our living God has us. And they didn't, they, didn't, they didn't experience that at the same level before the furnace as after the furnace. None of us want to go in the furnace. No, we don't. But I can trust God even there. Contentment is learned in the midst of circumstances by being in the midst of circumstances. Culturally, we have growing, increasing in our American culture a sense of entitlement. A, tense, a sense that I should have, and it's driven by what we see, what, what we perceive to be, and, and a lot of our perceptions are driven by marketing, so what we're told is normal and everybody ought to have, we believe that we then are entitled to and everybody should have, including me. And, and that, that sense of entitlement is the opposite of contentment. Entitlement is driven by pride who am I? I am somebody that ought to have a certain level. Entitlement is driven by covetousness. It's driven by desiring what somebody else have that I should have that too. And this is a subtle thing that, that, that eats at any of us and our culture intentionally fuels and feeds. I... I I marvel at the um, I marvel at the storage industry around us. More and more little storage cubicles and big storage cubicles are 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 being built. And I have to be very careful here because some of you have them. Others of you have garages, which are basically the same thing. Somebody once thought that garages were something you put cars in. Who knew? <sighs> But, but, but the fun about is, is we have filled our, 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 our dwellings to overflowing with stuff that we've become convinced by our culture that we need because that runs an economy. It does. And, 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 and yet we, we, we have this stuff. Somebody was talking last night about stuff that they, they, their, their family got rid of some boxes that they hadn't opened in I, I don't know how many years. And they said, we're not even going to open them. We're not even going to pull a tape off and, and see what's in there. We're just going to get rid of it. You know, there went these treasures that could have gone on eBay for tens of thousands of dollars. Sorry about that. But somebody in goodwill is very happy. But um, if you open the box, and you, then you can't give it away again, right? You can't get rid of it again. It's like, look, oh, my goodness, you know, this might come in handy someday. That we are, we, are, we are focused on stuff. And that, and that storage uh, cubicles mentality is, uh, tells us something about our own contentment. Looking for in the things, in the, in the things that we have. 
Paul says, I, I have learned the secret. In verse 12, he, he playfully um, um, uses the terms of the culture a little bit. The, I have learned the secret. Now, within the Greco-Roman world, there were these, there was the, there were these religions, uh, these followings that had secret knowledge, hidden truth that only the initiated would know. Most people didn't know. Even within the organization, not everybody had the same knowledge. When you were at certain levels, you got initiated into deeper knowledge and secrets. And uh, nobody else knows this stuff. And Paul's playing with that a little bit. He says, I've learned the secret, the hidden knowledge of how you could have true contentment. You want to know what it is? Can't tell you. It's a secret. Says so. It's a hidden secret. I've learned the secret. You know what the secret of contentment is? The secret of Paul's contentment is Jesus Christ, whom he has been declaring openly. I can do all things. I can, by things, he means the circumstances he's just described. I can do all this. Whether it's like this or like this, whether it's mountaintop, whether it's valleys, I can do all of this through Christ who gives me strength. That's the secret. And it's not a secret, actually. It's right out there in the open where everybody can see it. The secret of being content in whatever situation or circumstances, whether it's being low or abounding, whether it's plenty or hunger, whether it's abundance or need, is not God will provide. That is not the secret. Whatever my expectations are, God will provide. I'm sorry, he probably won't. Just like parents or grandparents, well, grandparents may be more guilty of this than parents, but, but, but parents will not provide everything the child wants, right? Yeah, that's grandparents' job. We're, we're not babysitting grandparents for a week, but, but we're, we're, we're a step or two down from that. We're, we're babysitting the puppy for a week while our kids are away, and... Oh, I, f- I figure my job is to spoil the puppy rotten and then give the puppy back, right? They'll never leave her with us again. But, but that's, that's not good parenting. And, 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 and if we did that, even with this puppy, we could disrupt months of good training that they've done. That, the secret is not God will provide, we'll get what we want according to our ex- expectations, but it's I can do through Christ. It's upomeno. There's a word in Romans chapter 12, upomeno. It means to abide under. And I envision two pillars and a big concrete uh, or stone, maybe it's a big marble block up there that, that could crush, except for there are these pillars that allow somebody, the pillars will uphold and support that load so it cannot come crushing down upon us. And these two pillars allow somebody to abide under, to patiently endure tribulation. That's the image that's in my mind. Now the two pillars are identified in a very short verse, Romans chapter 12 and verse 12, that says this, rejoice in hope, pillar number one, which is also in Philippians 4, rejoice in hope, in confident expectation in Christ. Be patient in tribulation. Patient, there's my word, abide under. Live under the midst of that load because the other pillar, pray always. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. 
Being constant in prayer, trusting God, being, being uh, rejoicing in hope, confident expectation in his provision, I can remain under whatever circumstance, whatever load, whatever pressure I can abide under. It changes how we pray. It changes our expectations in prayer if we jump back to Philippians 4, 6 again. Not anxious, but asking. Rather than, Lord, remove this from me, it gives me strength in this. Like Jesus in the garden, Lord, let this cup pass for me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He says, Lord, these disciples, they were yours. You gave them to me, and I have, I have kept them. Lord, I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but keep them in the world. Keep them from the evil one. That was his prayer for us. Not to remove us from all the trouble, at least not right away, but to keep us in the midst of it, that there we would know him. At school, you might have an unfair teacher. You might have an adversary, somebody who's against you, who's out to get you, and it makes it miserable. At work, you might be taken advantage of. You might be maligned. You might be overlooked, and somebody else gets the credit for your hard work and faithfulness. Your family situation may not be what you want it to be, what you imagined that it was going to be like. It's not what you prayed for. Your finances. We're never able to quite get ahead, you feel. We're never able to quite get out of this hole before something else happens and the wall crumbles down in on us again and we fall back down and we've got to start digging all over again. God, where have you been in the midst of this stuff, in the midst of this situation, in the midst of this circumstance? God, where have you been? And the answer is right here with you. Coveting contentment. I'm a little jealous of my daughter Ruth. Now, Ruth and Kuda and little Jamie live in Harari, okay, one of the things I'm jealous about is they have Jamie and we don't, okay, our little grandson. But, but they live in, well, difficult circumstances, certainly, compared to our expectations. Julie and I spent a month with them last August, uh, well, July and August, and uh, they, we, we, for those four weeks or so, we, we, were, we, we just said, okay, we're camping. We can do this for a month. We couldn't do that for two months. We could do that for a month. You know, the running water was tenuous. We didn't really have running water the first week or so. We, hot water took a little longer than that. Uh, Bob got a shower. Nobody else did. Um, electricity, well, it's much better now for them than it was then. I can assure you of that. Um, a lot of situations and circumstances that life day by day is harder and certainly not as convenient as it is for us, certainly not as convenient or easy as I would like it to be for my daughter and uh, my little grandson as, as uh, he's growing up and being such a nuisance and so much work, right? Uh, well, my son-in-law, I mean, he'll be just fine, but my daughter, my grandson, I, really... I wish things were better for them, and yet, coveting contentment, I marvel at their joy in the midst of those circumstances. I mean, by their marriage, they, they could have a ticket out. They could do what a lot of Zimbabweans would love to do, come to America, the promised land, right? 
But their promised land is right in the middle of all that need where there are these street kids. And they have the opportunity to do something for these. And they're content there because that's where God has set them. And there's no better place to be than with him right in the middle of his will. And so I, I, I don't think at this stage, I'm, now, okay, maybe, it's, maybe it's, it's perfectly accurate to say this. I don't think that I could do that at this stage in my life. I feel like I've gotten soft. I mean, okay, we, did, we, we were in Swaziland years ago. I don't know that I could go back and do that again. But maybe I couldn't unless I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I don't have to do Ruth's thing. And you don't have to do my thing. And you don't have to do their thing. But that which God has called you to in whatever circumstance or sorrow, I can do this thing through Christ who strengthens me who himself left heaven's glory and lived in Harari, who came into the brokenness of human life because we needed him here with us. Philippians 4.13 is one of the perhaps most misused verses in the New Testament. It doesn't mean that I can do any extraordinary thing in the sense of a self-accomplishing Christian triumphalism. What it means is the context that in Christ I can do the hard things that others don't want to do. That won't recognize or applaud you for. I can do the things that we assume are beneath us. Because that's where we meet Jesus on his way to the cross for us. It's, it just as likely means I can face dying of cancer as it means I can be healed of this cancer. It just as likely means, well, it could mean I could be a well-paid executive. But perhaps it more likely means I could be the volunteer cleanup guy. I can do whatever thing through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus has so exalted the mundane, the subservient, the humble, because that's where he met us. Philippians 4.13, maybe your dream, I could fly a jet. Well, please, pursue that dream. Grab hold of Philippians 4.13, I can do this through Christ who strengthens me. But don't grab that verse and jump into the cockpit. Please, go to flight school. Make sense? Maybe you're a non-golfer. Somebody invited you, hey, you want to go golfing? You said, sure, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to shoot a 70. And you get out there and you're about to tee off. Please do not mumble in your friend's hearing, Philippians 4.13. You're more likely to make them an atheist than a Christian by your golfing that day. That's the best that Jesus could do? No, that's not what the promise is at all. These kind of extraordinary things. And neither is it a fatalistic resignation that uh, things are just going to be whatever they're going to be. This is just it. I guess I might as well get used to it. Instead, it's I intend to follow Christ in the midst of this because he, he knows these circumstances. He has set these opportunities, and he is with me in it. I can do this through him who gives me the strength that I don't have for myself in it. If Christ-centered contentment 
sets me free from conflict because my eyes are not on somebody else and what they have that I don't have. Rather, I can be content with this is what God has provided. This is the situation and circumstance that he has given me, and I can trust him. Because of I, know, I know his character, because if I know what my God is like, I can trust him here. And in the midst of this, in the midst of these circumstances where I have to trust him, that's where I learn contentment. You know, we have this thing with the mountaintops and valleys, right? We want the mountaintops. But more of life seems to be valleys than mountaintops. Have you noticed that? Mountaintops, Hawaii. You go there, maybe you go there for a week. Most of us don't get to live there. The people that do, actually, you know what they say? Nice place to visit, you don't want to live here. Going to Hawaii, wonderful. Going on a mission trip, oh man, that's great. Seeing what we saw and, and being used by the Lord in that way, in a unique and special way, in a different place, with different people. Oh, it was fascinating, it was wonderful. We got stretched, we saw God work. Oh man, why couldn't life at Brush Prairie Church be like this? You get back to church, you get back to normal. It's just not the same, it's, it's normal. And there's stuff here. And there's those same circumstances and there's those same people. And you know what? On the mountaintops, we can see farther. On the mountaintops, I think we see. We get glimpses, fresh glimpses of what God is like and what God can do. But it's in the, on the mountaintops, we see our God. It's in the valleys that we know our God. You catch the difference? Paul says something like that in chapter 3. He, said, he says, I want to enter into even. I want to I join into in partnership with his sufferings. Why? That seems like a strange thing to ask in the first place. Why does he do that? I want to join in the fellowship of his sufferings so that I might know him. I want to walk with Jesus on his way which is going to be the way of suffering. It's going to be the way of rejection. It's going to be the way of being ignored, of being slighted, of being misunderstood, of being rejected or ridiculed maybe. But there I'll know him, and that is worth it all. What is better than that? Now, if Christ-centered contentment sets me free then from conflict, from coveting, from criticizing, let's circle back around then to what I called Facebook faith, Amazon faith, Fight Club faith. Instead of showing off what I've got, what I'm doing, what I'm eating, or joining in the criticism of whatever is popular to criticize today, what if instead I fuel my contentment somewhere else, reminding myself of who our God is, what it is that he has done for us in Christ, and then from there I use Facebook, as Paul says in Philippians 4.8, I used it then to commend somebody else and to point out and to celebrate that which is good and right and pure and honorable. If there's anything, he says, find it, search it out, and point it out and encourage and strengthen somebody in the process. Instead of being anxious about what God is not giving or about God, what God is not doing in answer to my prayers, maybe the prayer ought to be, Lord, what would you have me to do? The next step beyond asking, requesting for my needs is to ask and request for the needs of others. 
The next step beyond that is to say, Lord, how would you use me to answer that prayer for the needs of others? I can't send rain to Cambodia, but I can send an email. And Steve's email was encouraging, was as encouraging to Madison as the rain. And the rain came from prayer, and the email came from care, and Madison was encouraged. Instead of joining one side or another in a conflict, deciding who's right as if God made us to judge over others, what if our goal is to, as a true companion, remind one another of what we share, of what we both believe, of what they both want, and of what Christ wants for us. There's a, there's a, a wonderful, I can't close the, an idea of contentment, especially coveting contentment, without turning to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Go ahead and turn over there. This is one of those verses that I hope you still have your Bibles open or handy because this is that kind of, I could put it on the screen, but it's better for you to see it right there on the page for yourself so you know the Bob didn't monkey with his verse. This is just what it says because it's a little odd, just enough to get our attention. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5 says this. Keep your life free from the love of money. There's coveting, desiring. And be content with what you have. How? On what basis can I be content with what I have instead of what I see and what I want? Be content with what you have for he, God himself, has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Did you catch that? That is not a provision verse, particularly. It is a presence verse. You can be content with whatever circumstance, situation, or provision that you have because he will never leave you. He will never forsake this. He, in this, he is with you, and in this, he has got you. That's our basis. Let's pray. Father, perhaps it's good just to pause for a, for a, for a couple of minutes right now and just uh, prayerfully consider. Lord, our own hearts, what, what is there that perhaps we're not satisfied with? What is there that, that we allow some creeping discontent. A desire for something that you've chosen not to give. And maybe it's nothing more than simply to unveil, to bring to the surface something that's in my own heart. To show me a longings or cravings that I have, even a, a focus upon myself. Lord, there are, I, I, I am confident in our church family, there are scary health things going on right now that cause our hearts to wonder, God, why have you allowed this? God, why haven't you removed this? And yet, Lord, would you, would you give us a trust and a confidence and a contentment in you there that goes beyond time into eternity? 
that knows you've got us today and tomorrow and even passing from death into eternal life, and that you hold us secure and no one is able to snatch us out of your hands. Father, in the midst of financial troubles and need, where maybe it's, it, maybe it's not urgent pressing, maybe it's just the subtle nagging that there are more demands coming than we quite have the resources for. God, today, this week, this month, would you allow us by your Spirit to rest in you? Father, perhaps there's striving within us, one against another. Perhaps it's a, out of recognition that I'm not receiving. Maybe it's somebody seems to be in my way. Maybe it's I am not being treated fairly. And I don't understand why you don't do something about it. And yet, God, you allowed your son, even worse. And he did that for us. Lord, we thank you for your love for us in Christ. And Father, we pray that that would so fill our hearts that when we taste little bits of unfair rejection, instead of eating away at us, Lord, would you use that to cause us to adore Jesus and what he endured for us even more? Lord, would you somehow by your Spirit open our eyes to see our needs and the needs around us? Maybe needs you show to us, Lord, to see these not as some lack, but as your opportunities, and in that to trust you. And Father, even in that to be used by you. Lord, now as we would come, even in the midst of pressure upon ourselves, in the midst of demands that we have in, the, in this month for ourselves, Lord, as we give out of faith a part of that which we, we have, part of your provision back to you for however you're pleased to use it for the benefit of others. Father, would you bless that? Would you, would you bless the giving, the sacrifice would you, Lord, multiply these gifts more than loaves and fishes in ways that matter for eternity in the lives of others? And Lord, we will thank you for that and for the joy of being with you and used by you. This we pray in Jesus' name. And all those who agree said, amen.